Hey guys, I'm your host Smita Kantori and welcome to Journey Podcast, your weekly podcast on transformational journeys. Hello everyone. I have Alicia today with me. She is a senior technology director turned into a personal development junkie on a mission to help other corporate technology women realizing the power of their stories. We can all raise above our stories to fall madly in love with ourselves. She recently decided to take her passion for helping women and creating a coaching practice. specializing in mindset empowerment coaching we can find her sharing her story more deeply in her blog modern portrait of the woman and i'm leaving this floor to her to talk about her story a little more in depth with all the traumas that she has gone through and what kind of a woman that she has become today welcome alicia to the show thank you um i appreciate so i just want to just pause for a moment and say thank you smita for creating such a powerful space for people who have um gone through trauma people who are experiencing trauma i think creating this space is so important um for people to you know this is something that so many people go through and we we just don't talk about it so i think it's such a important um a, an important conversation so thank you for creating this space um as you know as smita mentioned uh you know i am uh recently um retired so to speak from the corporate uh corporate world um and this is i'm you know just 6 weeks into my new adventure of um writing speaking uh and creating my own coaching practice um so you know in i've had 20 years of a really successful career in technology i was a senior director um by all measures i was really successful and should be, should have been super happy um if i can and, you know little point there i mean me being in the technology industry having a profile like you is super powerful and i can't imagine like you leaving that space to help another woman that is so great of you leaving that and you you just wanted to help other women to come out of their traumas or like their problems and you are actually teaching them how to do it and and i'm really really like happy and i feel so great to meet you as a person like this and talking to you today leaving that kind of a profile and it's it's really amazing thank you thank you um i you know it's interesting i i was living almost two lives and 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 i felt that way i felt this as i grew um you know in age i'm 41 so as i grew and as my profession grew i was moving to be a vp you know um i was on a track to be a cio and i was at this crossroads where i had to make a decision and so it and it, it was just what was once a whisper became like this very loud shout like you have to go do this and i think the thing that was underlying was my childhood trauma um now it wasn't until about a year i think it was april of 2019 that i actually first said this out loud so i i i had never actually admitted it or said it in these words so in and, and that became really powerful for me i spoke to an audience of about 90 women and told them um not as much as i'm about to go into today but i told them and it was the first time that i'd shared it in a public venue and it was in that moment that i realized i had this segregation inside of me this part of me which was this childhood trauma that i had taken and how i describe it is i i took it and i packaged it up and i put it in a closet and in that moment when i shared it 
mm. again, just a little piece, it opened up the closet and it opened up this piece of me that had been wanting to serve, okay. um, but didn't know how. And so um, that's like, I guess, a really big um, moment, I guess, in my life where I shared that and expressed it. But um, I wanted to start with, you know, where I, where I am today. So now I'm, you know, I'm, I've got two children. I'm a mother. I'm a wife. Um, I have, you know, had a great successful career and now I'm moving into this new space. And so I think there are so many people that say to me, Alicia, how, how are you so confident? Wow. You must've really, um, you must've really had a great framework and, and structure growing up. I really because the way you are presenting, even about the, even when you are saying like, it's a childhood trauma. It's something like that you are not really comfortable that you never shared about. But the confidence that you are saying, just putting up those words is awesome. Keep going. Sorry. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I had somebody actually at my last, and, and just to, to, to hit this point home, I had somebody in my last position. He was, also, he was also a senior director. And we had gotten to a debate, a work debate about something. And he had said, you know, if you didn't have such a, hoity-toity upbringing, you know, you would understand us people that grew up with humble beginnings. And it wasn't until, like, I had, it's funny because this is how we became really good friends because I was like, wait, how do you see me? And so it was really interesting, this exploration, but that's a sidebar. Okay, so I'm going to go back to, um, I want to go back to, you know, I think the first moment that I realized something was wrong or that something, you know, I, I recognize there are a couple of key milestones that have happened in my life. And so I think the first one was when I was 10 and I realized I was so sad. I was so sad. Like it was just this bottomless pit of sadness. Now I didn't associate at the time because I didn't have the words or the understanding like I do now. Um, but at 10, I realized I was just so sad and I could not understand why I was so sad. And so I, I started drinking at 10 and I started consuming a large amount of alcohol. Now this wasn't every day, but the first time it happened, I recognized that I could disappear. I could drink and I could black out and I could disappear. And that pain, that, that depth of pain that I felt could go away. And it wasn't permanent, but it was for a period and I could escape. And so it was in this moment, this was like a first really big milestone and where I started, um, you know, using different coping mechanisms in order to hide from this pain. And often, you know, again, up until through my 30s, I have always talked about it as this, this pain or this darkness. And I never connected the two things that and the sadness or this deep depression that I felt actually stemmed from being physically, verbally, and emotionally abused my entire life. And so at 10, that was, you know, a, a, a moment where I realized this. But then I think, you know, there were a couple of really key other points in my life. So at 10, I think the abuse of my father started pretty young. Um, it was, you know, I'm you know, it was, and it wasn't spankings, you know, this was, and, and I think that's the other thing. There was this emotional, so there was psychological abuse where he would often say, you did this, therefore, you know, it is okay that I am doing this to you. 
parents are supposed to, you know, discipline their children or punish, you know, punish their children. And the, the thing about my dad, and, and this is, uh, again, me, years of, I've been in, I should say, I've been in therapy for, you know, a good 12 years, dissecting and unpacking all of these different things. Um, and, you know, one of the things that I, I realized, you know, was that he, he was trying to normalize this behavior. And so it almost was like, and then he was also, the, the psychological abuse was very much like anytime there was an abusive situation that happened, he would then sit me down and he would tell me what happened and then he'd make me replay it. And so today, like several of my memories, they're very, they're very confused because of this sort of psychological trauma. But the interesting thing that I've learned going through therapy and additional just learning and studying is that a lot of your abuse is stored in your body. Yes. So if you have a memory, you will feel it in your body, you know, and you might have a memory or your memory could be disconnected, but you can still feel it in your body. So anyway, I think, you know, there were, there were several situations growing up, um, a lot of abuse, a lot of physical, verbal, there was a lot of, you know, word, words like you're, you're stupid, you're nothing, you're not, you know, you're never going to amount to anything. Um, and this is not just like one day, this is like on a continual basis. And the thing of it is, is that it was it, this interesting I would say dance because my dad was the abuser. My mother was also abused. And I don't want to talk much about her, but my mother was also abused. And I think it's important to explain the situation. But she was also somebody who witnessed it happening and allowed it. Mm. And so for me growing up, it was like, okay, I have this abuser. It's my somebody who's supposed to be a protector they're not protecting me. And I have this other person who's supposed to be loving and nurturing and protecting and neither of them are. And both of them are saying that I'm unlovable and that I'm not good. And so I grew up with this very, um, one, just this feeling of a lack of worth, a lack of being enough. I felt very much like, um, I felt unloved and like, and I often describe it in my writing, I felt like no one because mm -hmm. the two people who are supposed to be your biggest advocates, mm -hmm. your biggest mentors, the mm -hmm. ones that cheer you on, even if you, you know, can't sing well, yeah. were the two that were kind of like, no, yeah, you're just not that great, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I had this feeling of being unloved and they were very disconnected. So there wasn't a lot of love in my family. Um, the abuse, you know, there were times that, you know, it was, it was, you know, slapping me in the face or hitting me in the head with, you know, like an open hand. Um, there were times that it was, you know, with a belt and the buckle. Um, and then oftentimes the other part that happened with it would be this, as I mentioned, this sort of sitting me down and explaining to me what happened in, mm. you know, in, in sort of a recreation of, of the situation. And yes. And then it often would end like, again, I call it this dance. The dance would end with, um, my father in some way compensating me. So it would be money 
or a pre, you know, when I was younger, it would be maybe a, a really nice toy or a present, you know, look at now you're being good. You get to have this, this thing. See, I love you. So and is, as I got older, you're not actually seeing that as a bad thing. And then when you are getting a tire, like whatever you are getting out of it, you're like, okay, maybe this is how it needs to be. Your mind right. will be think to that kind of a thing after a while, if you are getting treated every single time like that. And one more question. Right. At yeah. the age of 10, you mentioned that you started drinking. So how were you able to get your hands on drinking? Was there your parents knowing about it? Are they okay with it? Or like, what is happening behind that? Yeah. You know, I grew up in a family, I would say, where drugs, alcohol were, were sort of out in the open. Um, you know, there was drugs around, there was alcohol around. So it was pretty easy for me to get alcohol if I wanted to. Um, my parents had parties. Um, we would go to houses that were, were having parties that were probably not kid appropriate. Um, so the access was, was there and, you know, and up until that age, I had never really thought about it. I knew it was something that people did when they were older, but it was, you know, I was, it was that feeling of like sadness that made me kind of think about how I could escape. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I would say, you know, the next moment in my life where there was sort of, you know, I know Smitha, when we chatted previously, you would ask like, what was a rock bottom? You know, these moments in our lives. And so I think this next big milestone in my life was definitely a rock bottom. Um, so because of how I grew up, the abuse, verbal, physical, emotional, um, the, you know, me finding different ways of coping. So one of those ways was alcohol. Another way that I had picked up between 10 and 14 was I would cut myself. So it would, you know, I had a little box and I would find ways to cut my body. And it was this, this way of, it's hard to describe, um, but it was a way to release the pain. It was almost like I needed to, the pain to get out of me somehow. And I didn't know, you know, how to do it. And so alcohol was one way, um, you know, drink, you know, drinking, and then also this, you know, this cutting. Um, and then the other way that I had picked up was I, I just, I was, it's, it's another, it's interesting talking about these things, but like, I, I wanted this feeling of love and connection and I couldn't get it from my parents. I didn't have any sort of mentor or advocate. I wasn't in sports. We were, we were very, we didn't have very much money. So I couldn't, I wasn't in any sport. My dad was a very, he was a nar narcissistic very controlled um, and paranoid person. So we didn't have a lot of friends. Mm. So there wasn't like, there was like nobody in my life except for like this situation. Yeah. And so I had, you know, everything, you know, at, at 10, it was like, okay, I need to survive this, right? And so by 14, you know, by 12 to 14, I had picked up a new coping mechanism, which was giving my body like I wanted to be with someone mm. and now I I knew you know just you know kissing a boy or being with a boy wasn't necessarily love yeah. but it was a connection that I had never felt this yeah, connection yeah just at least giving you that kind of importance they wanted to be with you there yes 
True. And even if it was a moment, it yeah. was like a moment of warmth and connection that was, it was like, that was so powerful for me. And so by, you know, 12 to 14, I had picked up this new coping mechanism. And at 14, I had sex for the first time. And I met a boy who was 17, who was also, um, you know, had did alcohol, you know, drank and did drugs. And I became pregnant. And so this was, you know, I, at 14, you know, thinking back at the time you feel so old and like you have so much, many years and that, you know, a lot yeah. at the time, like, but looking back, I, I didn't even understand that you could get pregnant. I really didn't. It had everything to do with me feeling and getting this connection that I just didn't have. And so I became pregnant and, you know, in this moment, you know, even this, it, it, even in this moment, like I feel like rock bottoms are the, are, are these lessons that we learn throughout our life. And yeah. sometimes we're not ready for them. <laughs> you hit a bottom and something bad happens and you're like, all right, well, and in this moment, and I remember it, I was a very ang at this point I was ang an angry, I was an angry 14 year and I was in survival mode. Uh, I had how to with my situation and I was really felt like the world was against me. You know, I had finally found somebody who could love me and be with me. And now I get pregnant, like this is going to ruin it all. And so, um, I had to go tell my parents. And so I, you know, they, they were adamant, you know, I was to get an abortion mm -hmm. and they were not going to drive me there. I had the boy had to drive me and I was to go have this done on my own since I got myself in this situation. And the boy was to, and I call him a boy. At the time I thought he was a man, but I call him a boy because he still was a boy. But, and, and then he had to come up with the money. So again, I was, had this very disconnected relationship with, you know, with my family. And then now I have to go through this very traumatic situation on my own. Um, well with, with, with the boy, the boy was there. He was, <laughs> um, so this was a, certainly a rock bottom, you know, situation. Um, and I think in this moment I realized, okay, I am not invincible. So I do think that there was a lesson out of it that I learned. Like I'm not invincible. Um, when bad things happen, like sometimes you, you know, you have like, there are, there are repercussions, right? Yeah. Up until this point, I really hadn't had my behavior, the things that I was engaging in, drinking, drugs, um, sex, like nothing had happened. And this was like that first moment. Mm -hmm. um, but I ignored it. And I will say, uh, you know, I, um, I was also throughout, you know, I, I think probably when I was 16, I became much more interested in where am I going? What's my career? Um, you know, I, I knew I was kind of a couple years away from getting out of my house. Um, and I knew that I needed to leave. Now in my mind at that time, I did not associate that I was in survival mode, but I knew that I wanted to leave and I wanted to be on my own. So I think the other significant part, like at 16, I got a job with a health and wellness company and I was exposed to a different type of um, a different type of people and a different type of life. 
And I think it was at this point that I was like, oh, okay, well, there are, are there's more options out there than I had really ever been exposed to. Mm. And so this sort of started my path on, you know, being in, you know, that, like, what do I want to do with my life? But it was, so that, that, that was from 16 to 19, I really was on this path. But then, uh, you know, I hit this point once I graduated. I think another significant point in my life, I graduated. So again, I was at this point, I was like a manager of this health and wellness, uh, mm -hmm. a manager at that company. Um, I had decided, okay, well, I'm graduating from, from high school. Um, and not everybody, my parents had not graduated from high school. So this was a really big deal. But I also wanted to go to college. But I was also you know, on the fence of, I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I decided to go to a community college and it, it would, this next significant point in my life was, you know, this professor, um, I was not doing very well in school. I was getting a D in this English class and he had called me and said, you know, let, can you, can you stop by my office so we can talk about your latest test? And I, he's, you know, he brings me in and he says, do you know why you didn't do well on that, on that exam. And I said, you know, and he was very serious. And so I was, you know, very serious back and, and, and very transparent. I was like, I, I'm, I'm just not smart. You know, I, I've never really been smart. Um, it's, it's where I come from, you know, I'm, I'm just, you know, it's, it's just who I am. And he kind of chuckled and his demeanor changed a little bit from this very serious and, and I was, you know, and I looked at him and he was just like, Alicia, there is a big difference between not being smart and not applying yourself. And you are the latter. And it was in this moment that I just had this really big, like, I would say my first real awakening where I, I realized, and I, I pondered this for the longest time. So I, I left his office. And then like for two weeks, this just sat with me and marinated with me where I was thinking about, wait, am I not applying myself? Like, it, it's so amazing how your belief system can shape how you show up in life. And that's what was happening to me. A professor was able to see your worth than your parents or you or yourself. Right. And that's it, the worth. He was able to, and, and that's the thing. And I keep meaning I need to reach out back out to him because I'm now telling this story that I need to like tell him. Um, but he, like for the first time, I felt like I had been seen. And to be seen is to be known and to be known is to be alive. So I felt this, this like awakening happen within me and I couldn't really understand it at the time. I, I articulate it much better than I probably could have at that time because it was very profound, but you know, I spent two weeks and I thought about it and I decided, okay, is this really true? And I, I kind of didn't believe him because again, because of this very strong belief system, but I decided in this moment, I'm gonna take the next one year and I'm going to try to hmm. apply myself to whatever it is. Hmm. And I'm just gonna do that. And it's gonna be an experiment and maybe nothing happens. And I kind of wanted to prove him wrong. And so I did a myriad of things. I decided that I was going to be the princess of my hometown. So I applied and interviewed and I took second place. I, um, you know, tried out for a play and I got a, I got a part. Um, I decided that I was going to go, there was a local um, 
fashion designer who was trying to generate money and he was doing shows, uh, fashion shows. And so I went and I talked to him and I became one of his fashion models. It was, a, you know, just like these random things. And after this year, I was like, oh my gosh, like if I apply myself, if I decide to do something and I apply myself, I can actually do it. And this was very profound to me because I didn't believe it. Um, but the thing that would happen is that this whole, this whole year of this profound sort of awakening was a really big piece of my life. But then what happened was, you know, I, um, I still had this side of me. So this is sort of my, you know, the side of me that's the career oriented and the driven side. And then there's this other side that is the, the person that needs the love, right? So this is like fulfilling this academic and um, career piece. But then there was this love side. So I now, at this point, I accomplished all of this. I applied and this is and then at this time I also got my first corporate job in technology, which is a very long story, but um, I got it by applying myself and literally I stalked the director of the department and said, you are going to hire me and got the job, but it's a long story. So I'm not going to go into that, but all of this would come to a little bit of a halt because I still needed love and I was still drinking mm. and I was still doing drugs. But it was very, I was very controlled with it. My coping strategies were, I was so controlled with my coping strategies. It was like between these hours, I was a planner with my coping strategies. So from eight to five, I had to work. From five to 10, I went to school. And then I, you know, it was like I had this schedule of when I could be free and release, be released from the pain that was in my insides. And so at 19, I met my next very serious boyfriend who also um, was heavily involved with drugs and alcohol. And, you know, I, and, and I, we had a connection. Um, looking back, I tended to date men that were like my father. And, you know, so and, and this, in this moment, like, I think it was that first year that I was dating him, I had multiple things happen. Um, I had the crown taken away from me because I got pulled over, um, ended up with eight tickets um, yeah. for drinking while intoxicated. I, um, you know, with this, I lost my license, which made it really difficult to drive, to my job, to make ends meet. And I will say in this moment, this lesson was one that I learned. So in this moment, when all of this happened, it was a, a very big wake up call to me that you need to change the way that you're like, if you want this over here, yeah. something has to, you have to change what you're doing over here. And now I, I did shift and adjust. I still continue to date this man for the next four years. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I decided I knew what I wanted. I wanted to go to school. I wanted to be in technology. I wanted to um, continue to push myself to grow. Um, at, and at, at, these, at this time, so this was like from 19 to 25 or 24, you know, I, I, this was a period where I would have never said that I was abused. I would have said that we had a difficult, you know, my, my dad was a difficult man to please, you know, he was, um, he was very controlling. I, I may not have even said that, but you know, I, it was very, it was very soft, right? 
um, in how I would have, what's that? Kind of a polished way to put it. Yes, it was. It was. Um, and I just, I really had not accepted that. I had not accepted what had happened to me. Mm-hmm. And when I first, and, and so this brings me to the next big milestone, which was, I was like 25, 26. And I was, again, my career was going great. Um, I had continued to progress in my career. I became a, you know, a senior pro- or a project manager. I was you know, there was a lot that I was doing. I was, I knew I was capable at this point. I know I'm capable, but I still have this longing for a relationship. And I had broken up with the, with the, with the second boyfriend there. Um, and this man who is not like any of the other men that I have met and he is what I would have called at the time normal. Um, (laughs) and, and it was this experience of like, Oh my, like if I'm going to be with somebody and be in a really positive relationship, I need to go to therapy. And at the time I would, I would, I, when I went in and I met this first therapist, um, I said, hi, my name's Alicia. I am broken and I just need you to put me back together because I met this guy And I'm thinking, you know, that we could maybe have a relationship, but I'm not good at relationships (laughs) is what I told her. And again, I had no idea that there was anything stemming from my family, but this would be sort of the starting point of my, my unpacking and uncovering that all of this pain that I had talked about all of my life. And I've written all of my life. I've written poems. I've written in my, my diary, my journal all of this pain I had talked about, it was stemming from this abuse that I had been, you know, I had, I had had, um, throughout my life. And at this point when I was 25, you know, I was still having the verbal and emotional abuse. And what I had uncovered was every time I would talk to my dad who would call me probably every couple weeks, Hmm. my mom would call me every week, but I would be triggered by it. And it would be this moment, and now I wouldn't have used this language, but what I uncovered through that first year of therapy was um, I did not, I had very toxic relation, a very toxic relationship with everybody in my family. Mm. And I spent a lot of time with them. And now looking back and even, you know, it's, it's, it's uncomfortable almost for me to say that I had all this abuse. I was completely disconnected that it happened. And I allowed them to be in my life after I had moved out and was then being triggered every time we talked. And it was affecting my emotional state, but I didn't recognize it. So that first year of therapy was the most powerful thing. And I think what it made me realize was, wow, I have a lot of work. (laughs) (laughs) We're not gonna be able to do this in a couple of sessions is what you're telling me. So that means you were able to identify yourself like, yes, you need some help. You yourself checked into your therapy and thought through like, yes, I wanted to get some help to get through my life in a proper way. That was a big change. How did that thought come for you like to even try for a therapy? Is that just for looking for a relationship at the point of time? Or like, is there anything else that you wanted to do and you wanted to get better in your emotional way? Yeah. You know, I would say it was the, I had realized that I was, so while I was not using drugs and alcohol as much, 
at this point in my life, I was using, I was using sex quite a bit. So I had replaced the, you know, the cutting, the drinking, the out, you know, those, some of those things with something else. Yeah. And I think I rec on some, you know, very surface level, I think I recognized, okay, the real, the way I would have described it at that time is I would have said the relationships that I'm having are not really healthy. Mm. But what was happening is I was having sex with multiple people. Um, and I think what I like looking back, I think, you know, having sex with people was a way for, again, for me to get, it was like a, 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 a drug hmm. where it was a connection. And yeah. it was like, I was collecting these connections to make me feel whole. Hmm. And I think in the moment, you know, when I first started doing this, it was like, okay, I could do it, you know, have sex with one person and it would last me a certain amount of time. Hmm. And I think what had happened at this time was that it was, it was like, I needed to be doing it very, a lot more than I, when I started. Hmm. And I realized that having sex with multiple partners and, but yet I wanted a relationship was just probably I, that there was something more underlying that I probably needed to figure out. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't know what that was, but I knew that it wasn't healthy. And I also knew that somehow deep down I had replaced some of my other things with this hmm. way of living. And so, um, I think so it was it was mainly that I think and meeting somebody who was you know I realized that there there was sort of like in this moment I had hope that I could be with somebody that was kind I could be with somebody that would treat me with respect I could be with somebody that wasn't a womanizer or that wasn't doing drugs or you know I could be with somebody else it was a choice but I also knew that the way that I was living was probably not going to be conducive to that relationship. Yeah. Um, so I think it was that. That was, you know, a really big turning point in my life. Um, I am now married to that man. Um, awesome. And <laughs> yes, we just celebrated our 10-year anniversary this past weekend. Um, yes, thank you. We've been together, in, um, but celebrating years. Um, you know, he has been, you know, in that first, probably like I found the therapist, I waited, I went through therapy and then we started dating, but I will tell you that first, you know, month I told him everything about myself, everything. It was like, hi, my name's Alicia. I'm a, you know, these are all the things that have happened to me that you should know about. And I think he, he was kind of like, we joke about it now. At the time, he may have thought I was a little crazy. Um, and he also thought, you know, he said, you were the most interesting person I had ever met. <laughs> I wanted to keep going out with you, mainly because I never knew what you were going to say. Um, and so I found you really interesting. And I think looking back, I think I was trying to, you know, almost push him away. Like, hey, here is all the crap about me you don't want to be involved. Yeah. And he was like, no, like, who, who are you to decide? And I was like, oh, okay. Let's try one more round. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And so, um, so anyway, so we started dating, but you know, we've had, because of the abuse, I think I've also, you know, my relationship with him and going through therapy has been vital 
to where I'm at today, even, you know, my relationship today, the abuse that I suffered has really, you know, it, I, I have issues with connection as I've shared, mm. you know, and connecting with my husband on this deeper level, it's very easy for me to connect physically, yeah. but connecting on a deeper level is much more difficult. Um, I think, you know, even just um, having kids, you know, it wasn't, I think having children was another sort of turning point where I was deathly afraid of having kids, but I didn't know why. I thought it was because I was a career focused woman and was afraid that my husband wanted me to stay at home and um, take care of kids, which was not the case. And after I kind of unpacked that, I've realized I was so afraid of being like my parents. Yes. I was fearful. What if this is a gene? What if like bad parenting and abuse is a gene that's handed down? And I've, I've done a lot of writing and researching about this. And now while it's not a gene handed down, there is, there is this idea of generational trauma. Yeah. And oftentimes people who have experienced trauma take that trauma and they do the same thing to their to their loved one, to the people that they love. And in this moment, as I was, you know, as we when we got pregnant, I was just like, I will not be that way. And the moment that I held her was this profound moment because I it was like it was like my heart opened up for the first time in this very real, real way. And I realized the beauty of like infinite love. Yes. And I realized in this moment, like it was never me. Yeah. It was not me. It was always them. It was their own stuff. Until you and I, that part of like problem is not with me. It is with someone else until you dig deeper and point that out, you will always have these questions and restrictions to yourself. Definitely, yes, yes. So that was a big turning point having, you know, but leading up to that, I was so fearful, you know, of, of, having, of having kids. Um, and it's something, you know, I think the other thing I realized about childhood trauma or any trauma, trauma is something that lives with you. Definitely. And it's something that anybody who has gone through trauma, you're always working through it. You're always getting better at it. You're, it's like an onion. You peel one layer and then you're like, I got through it to the next layer. And you're like, oh man, there's more. You'll be peeling sometimes. That's how I feel too. Yeah. Well, I think the beauty of it though, and I've thought a lot about it in like through, I, I do a lot of, I take a lot of classes and, um, you know, as for coaching and just continual education. But one of the most beautiful things that I've heard on this concept of, you know, it's like where you're at right now, you can only heal so much and then you grow and your lens is different. And then you only then are you able to heal the other parts of yourself? Hmm. And so it's this continual process, but it's also like, it's also your evolutionary process of growth, right? You continue to grow and shed those other pieces of you and you continue to evolve, hmm. you know? So, it, so, so through having my children, there was definitely this, this sense of evolution, 
Um, and then, like I said, coming back to like what I mentioned at the beginning, and then also just two years ago, being able, well, a year ago, I guess, April 2019, being able to share some of me, the real me, with this group of women. Um, and I shared with them actually a poem, like I shared with them something I had written, which I had never, I've never even shared any of my writing with anybody because the writing came from this deep pain that I didn't want anybody to know. And I, I really didn't write anything at that time that was very happy. <laughs> so it was like, I didn't want to share it because it was like from my insides. Um, but I shared it with them and that was another like this moment. And then just six weeks ago, leaving my job and going, no, like I am supposed to, this is part of my evolution. I've shed now this, this, I think for me, I realized as much as I loved my corporate career, I loved what I was doing. I loved the people. I loved the growth. I loved the leadership. I realized that I traded each time I was coping. I was trading in one coping mechanism for another. And for me, being in corporate was this beautiful way to, um, it was a way for me to get worthiness. It was a way to get uh, a grade, so to speak, right? As you continue to climb the corporate ladder, you get praise, you know, and I needed that. And I think what I've realized over the last probably six months is I don't need that anymore because I've grown. Yes. And now my next evolution is to help other women experience the same growth and the same evolution because we're all capable of it. Um, the only other thing that I wanted to just mention is, you know, I think it's taken me this long, you know, I'm 41 to come to this conclusion that my story is my foundation. And I think before what I believed was that my story, my past was something that was to be ashamed of. It was something to hide from, something to put in a closet and not show anybody. And I think all of the, all of what I've realized and really kind of comes full circle on is your story, all of our stories, like we all have stuff. It is all this story is our foundation and our story does not have to be, doesn't have to prevent you from what you do today or what you do tomorrow. But my story, it definitely did. It prevented me so much. And I love that I'm, you know, I, again, I, I'm on the other side to some extent with a lot of it, but I'm also, also I recognize I'm continuing as we talked about, you know, peeling back the layers and unpacking. And, you know, I continue to evolve in this story as well. So my question to you right now, I mean, uh, you mentioned that you are working as a coach. The question that I have is like, people talk about forgiveness. When you mentioned like, yes, when you realized that the problem is not with you, it is with them. That's where you realized like, okay, I can let go of things. People often talk about like forgiveness. How far do you actually like accept that forgiving other people? There are certain things are certain uh, acts that other people might have done is not something that can be forgivable. So when I say that, what do you exactly mean by forgiving other person? What, how yeah. much deeper it goes into? Is it like that you are forgiving them for the act they have done to you? Well, let's just say, for example, the worst example I can pick off. If somebody is raping, they are in full cautious when they're doing it. And as a mm -hmm. rapist, 
how do you say like, yes, I forgive the person? What is the reason behind forgiving them? I mean, is there something that you feel like, okay, they have some kind of a trauma yeah. on me? Because no, that's not correct. So right. how do you say that? Yeah, I think that that's a really interesting question. The question of forgiveness. You know, I think about that with my with my dad. And I think in the beginning, I kept trying to forgive him. Um, I don't know that, it, I'm not sure what the word is to articulate here. I don't know that it's forgiveness because I don't know how I can forgive somebody who abused me so consistently throughout my life. But what I can say, and I think the other thing that I learned is that by, by that I've learned through all of this is like holding on to all of that pain yes. and all of the things that happened. It, the only thing that it does is it holds you, it holds me in purgatory. It hurts me by hanging on to it. So I think it's more letting go of the experience or like accepting the experience, working through the experience and then letting it go or releasing it in some way. I don't know that it's forgiveness. Hmm. Um, in my case, I don't know that I can say, like I really did try, like I have, I, I have letters that I've written to him and I've gone to the house and I've said I forgive you, but I really didn't. <laughs> and I don't, cause, cause I really don't, like the word forgiveness mean, you know, I, I think that would be interesting to look up. Like is the word forgiveness to let go? Um, you know, and so I think it is a matter of letting go and recognizing that you have the power, you yeah. have the power to move forward. So cutting that or disconnecting it and letting it go is the only way I feel like that you can move forward, but you do have to process it. Yeah. Processing it, digesting it and understanding like that we cannot hold up to it forever and live in that pain. No. Set yourself to freedom up. And then, yeah, yes. well, that's what I feel like forgiving in the sense you're forgiving that thing happened to you. You are right. letting it go out of your system. You're not actually like yes. another person, like whatever you have done to me, it is okay. I can be exactly. It's not that. Exactly. I've been hearing that a lot from everybody saying like, I forgive the person who did wrong to me. I don't think actually anybody can really forget and forgive whatever happened to them because you have been through that pain, you have been through the trauma yep. for years and then at the end of it, you just come simply and say like, yes, I have forgiven. I really don't know how the forgiveness comes around. Mm -hmm. uh, right. I do think it's a matter of letting that go. I also heard, I don't know who, I'm going to quote it, but I don't know who said it, but it's not me. Um, I, and it was something that was really powerful when I read it and it really sat with me, which is, um, my story is not a life sentence. Exactly. And that is such a beautiful phrase. And there are times when, if I'm stuck in it or I'm, you know, getting pulled down into it, I remember that it's like, no, no, because we do have the control and, but it is about that healing process and it's all different, you know, for all of us. You know, it's taken me my entire life to uh, even just call it out, recognize it, you know, um, you know, and, and I shouldn't say my entire life. I have much more life ahead of me, but, yes. but for a long, a long period, you know, it's, it's, but it all, it takes whatever time it takes for you, each of us to process it and go through those different layers to understand it and accept it and then move forward you know, whatever relationships we have that are toxic, 
it's so important to recognize these relationships when it's happening and it's okay i feel like for any of us to 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 then end those relationships whether it's family whether it's somebody that you're married to whatever it is so for me and i'm saying this because of my experience you know i felt like i had to keep my family in my life because they are my family and they are for the longest time they're the only people that i had in my life right and so, but after I've gone through therapy and that's like the first thing that we did over that first year, it was like, no, you are your own person. You get to decide, you get to choose mm. how, what your boundary is and what you feel comfortable with. And mm. when she told me that, when she was like, you have the power to decide, I was like, I don't have to talk to my mom every week. I don't have to talk to my dad every time he calls me. She was like, no, like, but these are things that, and I, I don't know if it's uh, like, I do think that I, as, as I talk to different females, different women, I think we think this, yes. like whether it's our family or if it's a friend or whatever, it is okay. I give all of you permission to let go of your toxic relationships. And I'm not saying it's that easy, right? It's not easy to just be like, okay, don't call me. Yeah. But I think the first step is to recognize if you have a toxic relationship and then it's like coming up with a plan to then end that relationship because you, you get to decide and you are important and it is your choice. It's just not even about, it's funny that you mentioned like toxic relationship. For me, it is like when I look at it, even I slowly, like past few years, I've been feeling that a lot. And I'm trying to like, as you said, it's not like picking up the call and telling them like not to call me. But at the same time, I'm kind of like disconnecting from every person that treat me like I'm unworthy or I don't really, I mean, they don't really care about me or any of that stuff. That gives you a lot of inner peace. And as you mentioned, like your power is back at you. Right. You answer to anybody. You are not responsible for anybody. You are your own person and you take care of your family are the very next thing that you have. That's all. Yes. That, that is really, really good. Because few of times when you are mentioning about those things, I can resonate with myself a lot, actually. Because I've been going through that phase right now with anybody and everybody that I'm having, be it like a friends, family or anybody. I'm trying to have that disconnected thing with everybody, like slowly. When, mm -hmm. I, when I'm talking to them, I don't really feel like it's a great feeling that I don't have. Then I'm like, why am I even wasting my time? Just like, just to make them happy that I'm talking to them. Exactly. It doesn't really matter. It, so yeah, just don't waste yeah. time. Yeah. I think taking that power back, that was like such an important thing that you just mentioned because that is what you're doing when you decide whether it's in, and I think all of us right now, because of everything that's happening in the world, I think we're all kind of assessing like who are those people that make us feel good and who are those people because there's so much draining us right now given everything that's occurring around us so it's i think really natural to then go okay who are the people that are also draining me you know and and start to separate yourself and take back your own power because yeah exactly that was just very beautiful what you said uh, do you still have connection with your parents? Do you talk to them now or like, are they involved in your life still? Yeah. So, you know, it was about four years ago that I, so I, since, you know, working through therapy, I had really separated um, and, and really kind of made the choice of like, okay, I'm only talking to my dad 
when it's when I choose to. And so we had, I had really kind of separated from him. So our relationship was already very, you know, we didn't talk much. And I saw him maybe he had this requirement. He was again, very controlling. So he had a requirement that there were seven holidays that I was required to be at his house mm. and I couldn't get out of it. It was the requirement. And so slowly I had stopped talking to him. And then I set the boundary of here are the two that I'm going to come to. And that was like such a powerful moment. So we had really not seen or talked to each other very much. And then the several times that I'd gone to forgive him and read him these forgiveness letters, right? Um, and then I think it was about four years ago, uh, actually an incident happened where I had just decided that I'm just not going to have him in my life. Um, my daughter, my youngest daughter was then one and he, we had had a falling out. So we hadn't talked for probably six months um, because he had said something to me. I don't remember what it was. And I had then set the boundary and was like, okay, we're, we're not going to talk. Well, then he had called me because it was my birthday and he had said he really wanted to see me and wanted to spend time with me and he loved me and he was so proud of me. And these are the things that he would do. So showers me with, you know, um, you know, these, these beautiful words. And I'm like, okay, uh, all right, let's get together. Hmm. And so I had, you know, but I made sure it was in a public place. Um, I had, you know, I, I never knew what my dad would do. So like, even with the kids, I wasn't quite sure, but I was like, it needs to be in a public place. It has to be like over the lunch hour. So we're not drinking, like, yeah. you know, like just keep it very, you know, um, so nothing can happen. And so we had met up there, but he had got two days beforehand. He got really upset at me because I was bringing my kids. And he was just like, I just wanted to spend time with you. Why are you bringing your children that I won't be able to see you or talk to you? And I was like, okay, well, here's where I'm going to be. And here's what time it's your choice, whether you decide to come. Hmm. And I was just decided, we're just going to move forward with the plans that we had set. So I went there with my family. Um, my mom was there, my sister, like there were other people there. And so we had lunch. He wouldn't talk to me though, the entire time hmm. at that. Um, in the middle of lunch, he handed me an envelope with money in it and said, I love you, and, but didn't talk to me the rest of the time. So then at the end of our lunch, everybody else is gone. My husband went to bring the kids uh, or went to bring my oldest to the bathroom, and it was just me with my, my youngest. Sorry, he brought my oldest to the bathroom. My youngest is with me and she's one. So she's like kind of sitting on my hip like this. Mm -hmm. And he's stand, my dad, my father is standing across from me and, or really close to me. And he, I don't remember what he said, but what he did was he took my daughter's hand and slapped me across the face as hard as he could. And then he said something derogatory and then walked out. And in this moment, and because of all of the rewriting of my history that my father had done, I was like, gosh, did I even, did I even remember that correctly? Like, why would somebody do that? So then I was just, but then one day later, it came full circle because I'm laying in bed with my oldest and she's crying. And I said, what's wrong, honey? And she said, why did grandpa teach uh, my sissy how to slap really hard? And I realized in this moment that she had come, her and my husband had come around the corner and she had seen it. Oh. And in that moment, I was like, I cannot have my kids around him because he is so volatile and you never know what he's going to do. Yeah. 
Um, and he denies that it ever happened. And so I just decided, so he is not in my life. My mother has chose to stay with him. Um, and be, you know, and she won't, because of his controlling nature, you know, he has to go everywhere with her. And so I gave her the, the choice. It was like, I can't, I can't have her have him around my kids, around my family. And I'm choosing that. And so you get to choose whether you want to have your grandkids in your life and me in your life. And, you know, it's your choice. And so I've seen her a few times a year. Um, and that's really been it, unfortunately. Do you carry any guilt that you're not having connection or like disconnecting people that you feel they're toxic in your life? You know, I think not my father. I would say there's no guilt at all. I think the one relationship that I probably struggle with is just the, the you know, the, the disconnecting with my mother. Mm. Um, but, but this is actually something I've been recently working through. The thing that I've realized is like, I gave her the choice. So it's actually not me, right? That her, she gets to choose and she's choosing just like she always has to, you know, ignore the situation and she's choosing, you know, him. And so that's her choice. And so I think, you know, that was one that I've struggled with probably for the longest time, but just recently I have come a full circle on that one and go, gone, you know what? I, I, I actually have released all of my feelings of sadness that, you know, do I want her in my life? I do. Um, and I would choose to have her in my life, but she chooses not to be. So I have to accept that. Um, you know, outside of that, you know, there's uh, there are other relationships that through my family um, dynamic, I've I've severed. Um, I don't feel guilty about any of them. I think every time I've thought about it, it's like I choose myself. I love myself, but yeah. I think that it's a form of loving yourself enough to go. I am enough, and I'm worthy, and I don't need though. I don't need them in my life, mm. and I am okay with that. Okay, thank you for tuning in and you can find me on all the socials at Smitha Gunturi and the show notes for any resources mentioned. See you next week. Take care.